Mythology, a new podcast celebrating the culture and history of the island of Ibiza. I'm Bill Beecham, an Ibiza-based journalist, and in each podcast I will interview Ibithans who are contributing in some way to the life and culture of this diverse island. The ecologist and environmental campaigner Chris Dews is famous in Ibiza as the founder of Casita Verde near San Jose, which he started in 1993. Over the years, Chris and his team of volunteers have transformed the place into a model for living with minimal environmental impact. He dreams one day of doing things on a much grander scale, on a different site, and has his eye on on the vacant land next to Café Mambo for a project he calls Ecolandia. As a young man, Chris spent many years in the Merchant Navy. He ended up in Ibiza quite randomly when he needed to get out of the UK at short notice and found the last flight left in his local travel agent. It was to the White Isle. Chris is an original thinker. He certainly isn't against partying on the island, but believes you should earn the right to do so after a hard day's volunteering. Tourism doesn't need to stop, but should be totally redefined. I met Chris in a cave at Casita Verde, which doubles as a nighttime party venue. Let's join Chris as we discuss the meaning of the green heart car stickers you may have seen on many cars around Ibiza. You see it on the, um, if you say, uh, if you look at a green heart sticker, it will actually, in every language, be more or less the same exp- exp- uh, explanation. Yeah. Because here in Ibiza, as you know, we have a hundred different nationalities of people. So how would you explain to all those people what you're talking about. You can't stand behind the car and explain what the car stick is about. It has to be self-explanatory. Mm. So we, de- we developed that, then um, did the whole kind of Green Heart, um, shall we say, uh, development programme, which uh, has now turned into something I designed called Ecolandia. Mm. Ecolandia was, um, or it is, it's, it's a plan to make a... Um, uh, a fully commercial ecological centre where you could have a, a, a thousand visitors a day. It's got a restaurant, it's got a health centre, it's got a, it's got shops, it's got all the, the whole thing. Demonstrations all run on solar or, and wind energy and or, or, or renewable energy, whatever is the, the, the best thing to produce in the day. It's got like loads of gardens around. It really is a day out for everybody. You're going to learn how to be an ecologist there. You enter into this into this ecological world. Um, it's like a conscious person, but you, you leave uh, consequent. You've got all the bits. You've, you've learned all the things that you need to, to know about to be a, to be a, a, a more conscious and more consequent uh, individual. And, and this, this whole place here, the Casita Verde, is just a model of that invention. Because obviously, uh, at the time when I invented it, in 1999... It's a bit like Leonardo da Vinci talking about aeroplanes. No, no, flying's for birds, you know. And and, and later on, look where we are. I mean, you know, man on the moon, we're going to Mars. I mean, so he he was just one of these people that could see over the other side of the hill. And how close are you to creating that? 
I'm, uh, I'm actually not too far away. I think the, the council, at least, they think the time's right. I've been to see the council. I've sent the project to them again. I took it in there in 2001. I didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, I explained it to the, the then t uh, chief of environment and she just read, she had a look at it and she said, what is it? And I said, it's an echo centre. She said, what's that? Mm. I said, OK, I think I've come a bit so soon. I'll mm. come back later. Mm. So I built one. Um, here in in, in, in in this land which I've been uh, I've been lent, I borrowed this land actually from the owners over the last um, thirty years nearly. I only rent the house here, and uh, they've kindly let me use their property to build all these things. And the local councils kindly let me do it without asking me any more questions about mm. it. Okay. Because I mean, I'm building with materials that are not recognised as building materials. But of course, um, I couldn't. Uh, build it out of bricks and things because then it would be completely illegal mm. and so you've got to go somewhere in the middle mm. which is between heaven and earth you know between uh, it's, it's called illegal and that means accepted legal that means yeah. <laughs> basically so they, they tolerate what you're they doing they tolerate yeah they yeah. actually they told me at one point in the history something like 2000 and uh, 2008 and one of the councillors who happened to be the second mayor of San Jose and the Chief of Environment and Chief of Urbanisation, very nice guy, came up to the table where I was sitting and he said, um, my name's Pep, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, and um, uh, I'm, the, I'm the second there and I'm the Chief of Environment for San Jose and I'm the one responsible for urbanisation. And I'd just like to tell you that on behalf of the local council, we're very proud to have the Casita Bird in, in our municipality. I thought, well, great. <laughs> so that's, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not the bad guy in the bushes, you know, over here. And uh, I've really not done anything. Uh, I've tried to stay quiet and, and not disturb the, the, the local authority. I don't throw bricks at the government. It's one of the reasons why I left Friends of the Earth, actually, um, uh, William. It's, it's because um, we start, I started Friends of the Earth in 1988, basically. We, we, we founded the, 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 the organisation in 1989. And my, my idea was really just to clean up the island. I didn't have a. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't going to throw any bricks at anybody. I just wanted people to be more aware of the rubbish. I hate garbage. Absolutely hate garbage. And I've been around the world seventeen times. And I've seen the destruction of the environment with my own eyes. I didn't have to read about it in books and newspapers. I've seen all the garbage in the sea that was accumulating even back then. I think I wrote a, an article in a magazine in nineteen seventy nine or something about the amount of plastic floating garbage in the Pacific. So when I came to Ibiza, I saw this beautiful island being, you know, systematically destroyed by uh, uncontrolled tourism, um, too many unconscious people running around chucking beer tins out the windows and littering the beaches, and the locals who actually weren't aware even of the presence of garbage, they didn't see it. I mean, they were, they were blind to it. Mm. Like a lot of people are blind to many things they don't see. You know, I, I can see a cigarette but at 50 metres. They wouldn't see it if it was sitting next to them. So, I mean, it depends what you're focused on. And, of course, so that disturbed me a lot. So I, I started cleaning beaches, and I was famous in 1989 for cleaning beaches. We founded Friends of the Earth, really, on that, on that kind of note. But then we went on to start criticising the government in a big way. One of the guys in the, in the directorship of the, of the group that I formed, um, he, was, he was very keen on, like, um, yeah, throwing bricks at the local authorities. And eventually I got tired of that, so I left. Especially, they, would, they wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. There was no recycling on the island. And um, I actually designed a project with a load of youngsters that I knew. 
and so I had all these kids all ready to you know take boxes of bottles and cans and papers and leave them on the steps of the of the of the island council on a Saturday morning with big banners saying we want recycle we're the future we want recycling today. I was told by friends of the Earth Brussels you can't do that you can't use children in political moves. And I said okay, okay, I'm out. You know, if, if you're going to control me, they don't give me any help and you're going to just going to cut my wings off when I want to fly somewhere. They actually do. They, they do use children nowadays in these things or invite them. Now they use children. No, it's the wrong word. Invite children to participate in things that are going to affect their future. And that's what it's about these days. I mean, look at you know, you've got Greta Thunberg and people. They're the people actually getting up and saying, hey, guys, we need to do something about climate change and all this mess we're making. And so so are, you, are you encouraged at all by... I mean, has a lot of progress been made over the years since those days when there wasn't even any recycling? Oh, for sure. I mean, I would say that, you know, what I did just starting it off was quite, was quite on time. I mean, we didn't have any containers for anything. And I actually devised a plan which was much more simple and didn't require too much energy. We just got the kids to phone up the council over and over and over and over again and asked them where they could take their paper and their bottles and their cans to recycle them. And they got so bored with that, they installed some... I guess that's why they did it. They installed the recycling containers soon after. So I would say that that was the beginning. We're still only at 17% of recycling. We've got to get to 50% in the next year, which is, I don't know how we're going to do that. I really don't. I is, suppose, that in, is that in Ibiza or in Spain? Uh, that's, that's in Europe. Okay. Yeah. All European countries have to get to 50% recycling in the next uh, short time. Yeah. And we're well behind. We're at 17. But we've come quite a long way from, like, nothing. And really, it just, it, you know, it's a... It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination of, in, in the first place, it was lack of interest from the government. Now they're quite interested in it. They're, really, they're, they're making quite a lot of effort because they realise they have to, and it's really the thing to do. Uh, but to try and convince people who are on holiday as well uh, to be careful, um, especially if they come just to get drunk and stoned and everything. And the locals are not really the best guides for that because they haven't got a history of actually tidying up their own trash either. So, you know, you've got a bit of a problem. You've got like a, you've got this. We're going slowly towards the goal, but I don't know whether we're going to get there. Mm. They're just installing now recycling bins for compost, which is a massive amount of what goes into landfill is food waste, and of course that can be avoided and it can go back on the land where it needs to go because we're actually ploughing up the fields and, and and burning the burning the burning the future of the of the soil. So uh, unless we put some carbon back in. Um, we're, we're going to be ended up. We're going to end up with an island where you can't grow anything because you keep ploughing it up. I mean, if you've heard of all this stuff like losing the topsoils, well, the same is going on in Ibiza. I don't know why they do it. I asked them. They said we've always done it like that. I said, we've always done it wrong. It's, you, it's time to change, obviously. Well, if every year they, even if they don't cultivate the land, they just they plough it. Plough it. Yeah, but the plough. But things. What you do when you plough? When you well, they don't even plough it. They, they, they smash it, it. They smash it to bits. Yes. And you know, if you just like, drag it or open it, or just even if you cut the cut the weeds down, leave them on the floor. Mm. It's fine. It's going to look nice. It's not going to be like a jungle. Just go with the cutter, and then let nature rot, it rots away. I mean, I've I've I'm the example here as well, like a lot of other people on Ibiza, who, who know about biodynamic farming and stuff like that. I, I don't have animals here, but I certainly. Um, uh, and how to make compost, and we've we've added like hundreds of tons of carbon to this property, and now it looks like a paradise. And it was it was a, it was it was a desert. So we turned a desert into a paradise. It took me thirty years because we had to we've had one hundred and thirty cubic meters of 
of uh, heme manure out of our two echo toilets, for example. And that's carbon plus all the elements going back into the soil. And with that, I've, I've built all these soils. I've, kind of, I've just been out today to buy some, uh, some, some sheep shit, actually. So I'm just planting loads of cauliflowers and, and, and broccoli and stuff like that. And I want some fertiliser. So we, you know, if I, if I can't find some horse manure somewhere, I'm going to go and buy some from the... Some ecological stuff, of course, from the, the cot. Yeah, it, it does worry me a bit when I see what the farmers do every year, even when they're not cultivating the land. Just, I think, just to stop the the bosk coming back, is yeah. it? Just the scarifying, and then then you see the wind blowing across it. They then, you, then you remember the Dust Bowl from yeah. America, and you know that's what they did. And you know, but these these fields are small, so the the, the effect's not so big as it was in, in in the Dust Bowl from America. But it's the same effect, and I I, you know, I keep. The owner of the land here is a really lovely guy. I keep I keep sending him videos about about regenerative farming. So that he's I just sent him one today. You know, another one that's in Spanish, because it really is time that everybody got the idea that you do you don't have to you just go chop the pine trees down, take a chainsaw, go and chop the pine trees down and stop them growing out of the pine trees in the forest, and the rest of it. We've blocked. We've let the forest block up all the natural waterways that used to provide water for the for the growing areas in Ibiza. There's a lot to do, William. There's a lot of stuff to do, but it's it's how to it's how to demonstrate all this to to young people, even our age people, you know, older people, especially the old farmers have been doing this for years and years and years, and how to grow things. But a lot of them are still spraying too much chemicals on. They might spray six different chemicals on your tomatoes, being thinking that they're doing something good, but they're not. They're actually killing the life that's got to support their grandchildren. And you know, and it, but they don't understand. They're not. You know, you can talk to them all day, and they'll still go and do it. Of course, so, of course, a lot of the farmers aren't really cultivating. You know, they're not. They're not making it or growing anything. No, they're not. Land. No, but that, that's the. That's for but, me one of the. The problems I have with it. What do you think of the concept of rewilding? So absolutely wonderful. That is, I mean, I'm, I'm I, I am so happy that rich people have got plenty of money and buying vast tracts of land, and just leaving it alone, and even even doing the best to reintroduce wolves and bears and all the other stories that were in there before man got there and started to kill everything. Because unless we at least turn over a third of our planet into wild, we're done. I mean, we've got, as you've seen the reports, we've got 60, 60 years left of, uh, of, of, of topsoil and then we've got nothing to grow anything unless we grow them in spaceships or something somewhere or under the sea, perhaps. And that's another thing we should be doing in Ibiza. We could be cultivating massive fields of, um, of algas and that produces a lot of oxygen, just like their Posidonia. And then we could be eating that instead of importing... Like ninety-eight percent of what we eat here from outside, that we should we should be growing on every square meter, like the Cubans did after they got cut off from the Russians. You know, they were planting everything in their backyard on the roof, every, along the sides of the roads, wherever it would grow. I mean, we should be doing that. And are you encouraged at all that things are changing in the rural landscape here for the better, or is it they? Not. Yeah, I, I mean, you know. There's a lot of people getting the idea, but you know how to apply it. It's it's a slow process, you know, because it's not just a magic wand story. It's it's you've got a lot of people involved, and you know to change the direction. It's like a super tanker, you, you know, to turn a super tanker around is not an easy job. But once it starts to turn, then you know it gets easier and easier because the curve starts to get tighter. And and I think this is all the only hope we have is that we just keep leaning on the wheel 
so that it goes the right way, because otherwise we're going over the edge of the cliff with the whole the whole human race on board. And um, it's a bit. I, I tell a story to some people sometimes, which is quite funny. You can imagine, in you know, in the old days, uh, of, of, uh, when, when the white man gets to America and only goes round and kills all the buffalo, like millions of six, 60 million buffalo they killed because they want to starve the Indians to death. So, okay, so there's, imagine the scene. There's a big chief sitting, sitting bull, he's sitting on the top of the mountain smoking his pipe there and he hears this train coming from the left-hand side of the picture and he sees this line going across in front of him, right across the plains where the buffalo are and he, and he, and, and, uh, he gets out his high-powered binoculars and he has a look at this train and there's, there's a guy on the, on, the, on the wheelie who looks like an absolute loony and all the people at the back, the eyes are dancing around or reading a book or sleeping. And he goes, oh, and he sees the train, he sees the track and it goes right across to the right-hand side of the pitch and it says, end of the world, and there's a cliff. And he's going, to go, he's going oh, I could just sit here and watch it happen or what can I do? He said, oh, I don't know what I'll do, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll, blow, up the, I'll blow, up the, blow up the track and then uh, that'll, that'll, it won't get to the end. And then the, 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 the train will probably turn over and we'll get killed, that's not a good idea. You won't like me after that. So... He said, oh, God, I've got this, this high-powered rifle. I could, um, I could take out the driver. And then on the, then on the next curve, it's going to go off into the forest and probably turn over as well. So, shit, I've got to get on board and talk to the driver. <laughs> and that's what I'm doing. I mean, my idea is to get on board and talk to the driver because um, although it's, you know, it's, a, it's not a kind of fast, uh, a fast um, result you're going to have, mm. it's the only way that it's going to be a permanent situation without causing any enemies. So I gave up throwing bricks at the enemy, or the, uh, the, the, the conceived enemy, because they're not really the enemy, they're just people that don't, uh, they don't really um, have the idea until now. They're starting, to, they're starting to get the idea, and it's such a pleasant it's, uh, change to go into the council these days and be met by intelligent people that understand what you're talking about and that really want to help. I've been met very, very warmly and, and, and very, very well. Now, if I'd been throwing bricks at them for the last how many years, I wouldn't have been allowed in. And, and yet I go there quite often. Are you so, talking about the city council? Yeah, I'm talking about the island council. The island council, yeah. I mean, the local council, they all, they know, you know, most people, they either know me or they know of me. So, so what's your latest plan then? For this place, because you diverge, because obviously you're not you're not able to have lots of people here. Well, at the I'm moment. not. No, things I'm not. I, even before the COVID story, um, we de I decided last year I'd had enough of doing Sundays. I mean, we've been doing Sundays lunch without stopping since uh, the seventh of April two thousand and two. And um, a very good lunch it was, I must say. It, well, yeah, we used to. <laughs> they, we, we were famous, but the, we, the thing is, there, was, there wasn't a vegetarian restaurant on the island when we started. Of course, I had a couple of guys at opening restaurants before and um, and failed because it just wasn't commercially viable because you had to pay the, all the government uh, taxes and hire people and pay for the place and stuff. So I thought, well, let's just have a, we'll do a study project, you know, see, see if it's actually going to work. And the first thing we did actually here um, after establishing Casita Verde, three years later we registered a group called Ibiza Ecologic. So at least we had a kind of legal... Um, platform to do things on and we could have memberships and we could we could we could have uh, fundraising events and stuff like that legally i mean you had a legal bank account you know nif number and all those things which you need to satisfy the government regulations and rightly so because really what are you doing otherwise what are you doing 
You're just filling your pockets up and, 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 and who's, who's getting a benefit? You are, which is called a legal business. <laughs> you know? um, so what you have to do is you have to be a bit clever and say, well, we're going to do a study project and we're going to see how it works. And then you can, then other people get the idea, they see it works in Casita Verde, they start to put more vegetarian and, and, and local food on the menu and now we don't need to be open anymore because we'd be in competition with people who are really doing a good job. I don't want to do that. I've done my... I've done my um, demonstration. There's, the there's so many good vegetarian there's restaurants. There's some beautiful. I, would, you know, I can recommend a load. I mean, mm. this was this was the only one, so we kept going until I finally said, "Well, that's enough." Um, uh, you know, basically doing what, what people are doing and paying taxes and stuff and hiring people. I, I don't want to keep. I don't want to break the law necessarily. And it's we, we got around it by making sure everybody's a member before when they came here to eat. You, you paid 10 euros at the door and we gave you a free plate of lunch. So that was OK. It's kind of skipped over the law, but it, it's not the perfect situation, obviously. And if anybody gets poisoned or something, like that, you're, you're in serious trouble. And, and the government then have to act and come, come and, and, and do something. So, you know, in order, oh, some kid gets his eye poked out on a cactus or something like that, and I'm going to be in jail. I'm going to be on the front page of the newspaper the next day. With yeah, a cop, for the, for the a, wrong reasons. A police on, police on either side with a bag over my head going somewhere I don't want to go. So <laughs> I, I decided while I was ahead, I would stop. When did you stop then? Uh, the end of June last year. Right. When the, the cook, the vegan cook that was here, he went home to England to look after his two lovely daughters that he'd, he'd kind of neglected a little bit there and he decided to go back. He'd, he, he decided to go back and be a father. So so I said, okay, it's time's right. Now I even stopped the, the end when, when we... When we finished the last uh, student um, uh, student project sponsored by Erasmus funding from Europe at the end of last year, I stopped uh, accepting any more volunteers or, or students. And now I just, uh, um, I needed as well to, 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 um, to rebuild a lot of the place. And, and while you're busy doing events, you can't take the place to pieces. You can't take roofs off and disconnect things because there's people here. You can't disconnect the shower and t tell them all to just go and swim in the sea somewhere. You know, like you've got to, you've got to have the place empty, or more or less. So I chose a team of um, friends and just one or two coming along. And um, actually, the, the, here's the, the, the Cuban brother of the, the the guy that I trained, a Cuban guy to run the Casita Verde in Granada. He's got a Casita Verde in Granada. Where I have a caravan and a car there, and I go there for holidays, basically, and go and help him out. And he comes over here and helps me out. We've got another one going to get happen in Poland now. Right. Um, yeah, from a girl that used to stay here. When's I that going to start up then? Well, sorry, she's already got it, got it kind of built and stuff, but she's got a government grant. She, I, I was supposed to go this month mm. and, um, and and go and check it out, but it, I got a bit busy and, um, and, of course, with all the COVID stuff and travelling, I don't want to get stuck in Poland for the winter, you know, so can't get back. Mm. So, um, so basically... The whole idea now is to, um, we've, we've been spending since the lockdown, I had a group of people here helping me and uh, just very small groups, only four of us, but really kind of working hard, putting new roofs on and fixing everything up. And and thing is, we have now time. We don't have to entertain anybody apart from, you know, people like yourself coming to do interviews, the odd TV company, people coming who want information. Sundays I entertain people still if they make an appointment not to just to look around. If they want to build something similar, those kind of people, yes. And anybody who wants to help us doing something, somebody who likes to make movies, uh, is good at doing I'm, I'm choosy who comes. I just don't want the place invading again 
and there's no services, there's no drinks, there's no food, you know, it's like, I say, you can have a look around, but what I don't want is people running all over the place and falling in the pond and kids out of control getting killed on my cactus patch. But that, you know. those Sunday meals must have been quite a steady source of revenue. So well, yeah. how do you replace that? Well, I tell you what, I worked it out eventually that the, the, the number of people I had to keep on board to actually support the Sunday um, was more or less equivalent to what it cost me. <laughs> it cost me that, money, that amount of money. For example, these three we used to get through about 500 euros worth of food a week, keeping all those people in food and, and, and whatever they needed. Mm. And, and since I don't do that anymore, we don't do Sundays, I've lost the revenue from Sundays, but I've, I also have dropped the food bill to like 50 <laughs> or 75. So and this is this is quite normal, and I've still got people here helping me. And so, are you pretty well self-sufficient here? We you will don't... be, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've got, I mean, electricity, hmm. ten kilowatts. There is, we've got eleven systems here, spread out. I've got the biggest one's four kilowatts, and we've got three and a half kilowatts over there, and another uh, two kilowatts on there, and so on and so on. So you've added it all together, it's about ten kilowatts of power. We've got a big water tank at the top of the hill. We've got uh, another water tank under the house and we've just built a pond to collect lots of water that keeps the pond. With... I never put any water in it during the summer. Actually, I'll show you how it works. It's a very clever design, actually, which collects rainwater when it rains and it, it's got a big reservoir in the middle and it just supplies two side lakes, which have all the frogs and fish and, and plants in it. And that's what attracts all the birds and the bees in the summer. So this place stays alive. It's got it's full of bird life and wildlife and, and, and dragonflies and butterflies and everything because they've got a I've got water. And I've got a web. So um I have to design something. That's actually cost me twelve thousand euros to build, right. even with slave labour and, <laughs> and, 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 and almost free materials so do, do you do you run out of water in the middle of summer? We we used to um have to buy a lot of water because with so many people on board, you the eighty ton water tank Especially people from the city, don't, you know, they're not, not like me, gets a shower in three litres of water and then uses that to wash your underwear and stuff and then puts it on the garden. They, they're like a little bit not, not quite trained as, as well as I am at the, the, the ecology trip. So we don't throw anything away. And I think that's the... We can't afford to. I mean, and this is, a, this is, this is a, an example that other people can follow. This place here has been built with 80% upcycled materials. We reuse the water. We get free energy. Oh, it's free. I've paid for the solar panels, of course. But, I mean, um, it's, it's free now. I mean, once you've installed a, a solar hot water system on your, on your roof, after, okay, you get your money back in the first two years on what you would have spent on gas or electricity. And after that, in the last about 60 years, you've got, like, 58 years of free hot water. So, I mean, look at, look at it like that. And you so really, I haven't spent any money. I've invested it. I've just invested in what I consider to be a whole bunch of gardens that are going to keep me alive, water systems are going to keep water happening, uh, and and if I have to, I'll make water out of the air with the humidifying machines running off solar energy. So I mean, I won't, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to die of starvation or lack of water. So I guess you have to, what you have to spend money on is what, running a car... You're well, right on certain things. Yes, I've got some cars. I've just, I've just, I've just, I had six cars. I've just got only three. I could actually do without. I've got four electric mountain bikes, big fat tyres. I, I, if I go to a meeting, I don't go in a two litre car. I'm an ecologist. I and mean, if it's not raining and it's not at the, at the other end of the island, I, I go on a bike. 
And then, you know, and then I'm having, a, I'm having some, it's an electric bike as well. I'm actually even having to work very hard. Yeah. It's charged by solar, by solar power. And it's like, it's, it's, it's really what I want to be seen riding. I don't want to be seen really driving a two litre right. Subaru <laughs> that was like 200 kilometres an hour. Um, I think electric bikes are really um, they're cool, wonderful. They're cool. You know, even, and perfect see, for Ibiza. Oh man, you know, you know, if we all had one of these, you imagine you can ride, I can get into town faster on the bike and then I can in the car because mm. they, they have to go and park the car. They have to walk into town. So that's 10 minutes from the car park outside town. They have to walk into town and have to sit in the traffic on the way in. And by the time I finish, unless I'm going to go and, go and do a load of shopping on the way back, if I'm just going to a meeting or to go to the council and present some papers, you know, I'm going to go on a bike. Why would I want to take a two-litre car? I mean, it, it's, it not, it's not just for my image. It's just that it doesn't make any, any economic or any ecological sense. Mm. I think if people just imagine, I've seen people going to a gymnasium, they get in the car, for, like a, a massive car, like a, like a three-litre Hummer-style thing. And they drive from their garage under Ibiza town out to the, out to the, uh, the gymnasium near Blankadonna. They get out and they, go out and they stand on a, a walking machine for an hour, walking, and get back in the car and drive back and park it in the garage. I mean, like, why don't they just walk to the gym and back? Mm. And that's it. I mean, it's all you'd have to do and it wouldn't, wouldn't cost you anything. <laughs> true <laughs> enough, true enough. Well, before we go and look round, yeah. could, could we just take you back to your, your roots? Tell me a bit about where you come from and where you grew up. OK, well, I'm, uh, I, I was born um, in, uh, on the 23rd of March uh, in 1953. Um, actually, I was born in a, in a maternity hospital in Withensea. That's on the east coast of East Yorkshire. Quite a horrible little place, actually, and um, uh, and then we moved to a, a village just between Hull and Yorkshire, uh, and Hull and uh, and, and Withensea, and I, I lived there. And then we moved into Hull. I spent uh, my, I think, from four years old till thirteen living in Hull, in various places, and then we moved back out to Cainham, place between um, Withensea and Hull, and I lived there until I left home, uh, and I went to. Uh, I went to school in Hull first, it's like a Borstal. Um, I was very happy to leave there and I went to Withensea High School. When we moved back to Cangham in the middle, um, I went to a, 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 a comprehensive school, which was great. It was like for loads of girls there. I used to sit next to girls all day, which was great. Because in the other place, it was just a boys' school. Didn't like that very much. And um, as I'm quite a sociable character. So I, I, I didn't have any sisters, so I, I, I had a really nice education. I had a nice time at school, to be honest with you. I really enjoyed it. And I, I wanted to do something with biology, but... Um, so did you already have, have a kind of interest in... Oh, yeah, nature. Yeah. Yeah. i tell you what, when I was two years old, according to my mother, we were going, we were going, going into Hull from Cangham on a train. We used to have trains in those days. And um, uh, there was a guy sitting in the carriage opposite us smoking cigarettes, and when he finished the packet, he threw it on the floor. And I got off the, I got off the seat, and I picked it up, and I gave it back, and I told him... I, please don't throw it on the floor. My mother had never heard me speak before. So that's the first sentence I ever said, was to ask somebody to pick up some garbage. And that just tells you something about, you know, where I was at even when I was two. I don't remember, it's too long ago. But um, I, from there, I, I, you know, on our, if I had Sunday off, I used to go and sit in the woods and, and watch, the, watch the, the animals and the birds. I've always been interested in nature. I love walking. I like, I like walking along the seashore. I like walking up mountains. You know, all these outdoor sports as well, fishing and, and, and water skiing and all that kind of stuff. Diving recently, that's why, that's why Ibiza for me was like, it's great because all the things I like doing, you can do here. 
when I left school, um, I was going to go and study something to do with either forestry or farming or something like that. And my one of my brothers, uh, he was already in the Merchant Navy as a radio officer. And our stepfather, he was teaching in the college in Hull. And he said, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you do like your brother does? And my brother said, yeah, it's great. And he get paid film star wages for doing absolutely nothing. And, you know, you travel the world. And, you know, instead of going sitting on a farm somewhere, which you've been doing since you're 14, why don't you go and see the world? And um, so I said, oh, not a bad idea. Walked in the college, did three and a half years study electronics and uh, nauti nautical electronics and, and, and radar maintenance and stuff like that. Got a job in the Merchant Navy. Stayed in the Merchant what, Navy. What is the Merchant Navy? The Merchant Navy is the, the cargo ships. So it's, just, it's privately owned cargo Yeah, yeah. That's, it's yeah. just a generic term. Yeah, it's the Merchant Navy. It's not the Royal Navy where yeah. we go shooting people with big cannons and things. And We carry things around, we, like oil tankers and passenger ships and bulk cargo ships and even general cargo ships. So it's far more interesting, actually. You went... And I went, around, I went around the world about 17 times on, on cargo ships and had a great time, basically. I got paid nice wages. I, 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 I was able to take my wife with me for the first five years at sea. I was the youngest, I was the first second radio officer to take his wife to sea in the British Merchant Navy, actually. And um, had a great time, really. And, and I, it really opened my eyes to what was going on. You didn't have to read newspapers about what was going on in the world. You could go and see it. And as the radio officer... You don't have to work in port. If, if, you, if, the, if the radio gear is working, the radars are working and everything, you can get off with the pilot and go and see the place you're at. So it was great. I got, to, I got paid a lot of money to do virtually nothing. And then I got holidays. As soon as I got to a place, it was there for six weeks. I was gone. <laughs> so why didn't you just stay in that career? Well, because, because after, after 12 and a half years, I, um, um, I was getting a bit tired of it. And then... Since, to be honest with you, since 1980, uh, I, I decided to do tax years out of England because uh, actually I didn't want to. I didn't want to support a government that was um, sinking battleships like the Belgrano, which was sunk by Margaret Thatcher in 1980 when it wasn't in the exclusion zone, and it was sunk by a, a British um, nuclear submarine and drowned 4,000 young kids basically who had been drafted into the navy. I got very upset about that. I mean, being on a ship myself, I, you know, can imagine what it was like getting torpedoed when you weren't even near the place and didn't want to be there anyway. Was that 81? That was uh, 1980, 1980, I think it was. Right, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I got hold of my lawyer and asked him what I could do about it. He said, you, you, oh, just a new lawyer. You can, if you spend more than 10 months of every income tax year out of the country, you can be declared non, not normally resident in the UK. Therefore, you get all the income tax back that took off your wages as you're earning it. And so I used to get a nice fat check. And um, in 1985, exactly on May the 8th, 1985, um, I just separated from my first wife and I was living with a girlfriend, another girl in my house in, in North Yorkshire by then, in, near Filey, near, uh, near Scarborough. And I got a phone call from my accountant. I used to have an accountant to make sure I get out of the country in time. She called me up at three o'clock in the afternoon, this is before internet. She said, Chris, I've just come back from holiday. I've opened your file. And I see you have to leave England tonight. So, oh, my God, three o'clock. I've got like, I'm going to buy a ticket, pack my bag and get to an airport to take me out. I don't know where, somewhere south. So I ran into Scarborough and the first travel agency I got to, there was just one ticket left going south before midnight and it was Ibiza. So here I am. <laughs> well, that's how I got here. 
That's why. That's how I got here. It's like completely back. I didn't even know where Ibiza it was. Mm. Found out one of my brothers said, "You know Ibiza?" She said, "Oh yeah, I've been there." He said, "You love it? It's, you know, there's loads of girls there, loads of parties, <laughs> nice place. You can go sailing, water ski, all the things you like doing." Mm. So, oh, okay, I'll go there. Sounds like a good. That was a good, a good, uh, good choice. In fact, it was the only choice that I had, even though, but it was a very good one. And and fell in love with the island like everybody else. So you just came here and then you decided to stay, did you? I, yeah, I, I, I kind of fell in love with being here. I went back after when I could for the tax reasons. So I went back and got my motorhome, my sailing boat and all my toys, all my woodwork stuff. I'm passionate about carpentry and stuff. I've you know, made all the furniture in my house in England and I've made a lot of the furniture and stuff here. And um, so I just went and got all my toys and came back again. And um, I stayed here. I went did, did one more trip to sea. Um, on an oil tanker with 29 Italians. Uh, we nearly got bombed in um, in, in Tripoli oh, by the God. Americans uh, because we were parked in the in, in the harbour when they, the Americans bombed Benga uh, Tripoli and Benghazi back in 1986. And then I was also just not very far away from Chernobyl when it blew up. Okay. Um, so I decided, uh, OK, that's enough. Probably go up the Persian Gulf next time and get on, on, on an oil tanker and get blown out of the water. So I said, well, I think I'll go and live in Ibiza now. Seemed like a good idea, so I just stopped being in the Merchant Navy. I left. Yeah. Sold my house in England, came to, came to live in Ibiza, started a business selling batteries and films for Kodak together with an American friend. That didn't work out. And then I, I started... Um, uh, I, I actually had no money left at all. I lost all my money from my house selling and everything in England. And... And uh, in 1988, I met a guy in a pub who was selling a, trying to sell a satellite antenna to the barman. And, and I, I brought him a beer with my last, like three, like one, one euro fifty or something it was for a beer in those days. And started a satellite business, which got me out of the hole. I was from nothing to, I think two weeks, three weeks later, I had £3,000 in the bank. Wow, this is when satellites were really... That was in, that was in the, I, I was at the beginning and I stayed till the end. Right. And then I got out, I jumped off there and then I became a full-time ecologist in 2001. So I just got out the satellite business in the year 2000, more or less, um, from starting in 1988. I installed 2,500 satellite antennas on Ibiza and from Ontario, and literally thousands of normal antennas. And as well in hotels, I used to do hotels and stuff. And uh, I enjoyed that too for, for 12 and a half years. But, you know, um, for out here in Casita Verde, as you'll see, I, I have lots of skills that I've learned along the way and here I can apply them all. So when you, let, when you got out of satellites, did you then make a conscious decision, OK, I want to be an ecologist? No, I've already, I'd already started at Friends of the Earth by then. At the same time as I did my satellite business, I wrote, that was when I started Friends of the Earth at the same time, so it was quite difficult. I was like juggling, I even had two telephones, you know, one for Friends of the Earth and one for the business, and we were all getting all mixed up, and I don't know, you know whether I should be doing this or I should be doing that. It was quite confusing. And fortunately, uh, I just managed to get out before the, like the, they used to, give, used to give away the antennas if you signed a contract with Sky TV. So, uh, and then the, the installation, you know, they paid like 25 Euros for the station. We used to make before that. We made quite a lot of money if you sold the system. But you know, when they give them away, uh, you know, your business is gone. So, did, so did, did you did you get this place quite soon after that? I got before before okay. I, I came here. I, I was walking my dogs. Uh, I was I was living in a house I'd borrowed from some friends in the winter um, with a French girlfriend. Uh, I was living uh, on, on the road to San Antonio, Beth, and uh, and she went off to Corsica to see her 
grandma at Christmas and I was walking up here with the dogs one lunchtime, her dog and mine, and I found this little house. And um, I came back at the weekend and parked my car in front of here and I went for a walk around and I met uh, some of the neighbours and they'd given the telephone number of the owner. This house was deserted for 30 years before I got here. And didn't even want to rent me. He said, "Oh, it's got no water. He's got, it's got, it's got a, a, a cistern, but it's no electricity. There's no running water. There's no way. There's nothing." I said, "It's perfect. How much?" So you know, made a deal, and they've been so lovely. The people who own the, own the house as well. I mean, they've they've really allowed me to do my dream here, and uh, even it helped me with it. You know, when I want to when I want to hold digging, I get the guy. He's got a digger. He comes up, and I pay him, but he doesn't. He doesn't. It, 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 he doesn't want me to pay him, but I insist. I say, if, if, if you don't allow me to pay you, I'm not going to ask you again. You know, if, and, and, and so we've got like, this very nice relationship with the owner. So I go and see the old lady. She's still alive, the owner of the house. She's 92. She's still making cheeses, looking after the goats. You know, she's really kind of the Ibisinka, Ibisinka style. Keep going. Till... And, and do, you, do you feel quite secure here? I mean, for yes. the future with that that, that, but those landowners are... Yeah, they, 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 we've got a kind of deal that's not even written down. She, I don't think they haven't got any rent receipts for the last five years. I mean, she doesn't like signing anything. She never could write very well, but she's stopped writing at all now. So I don't, we just have this kind of deal, you know. It's like, um, But those kind of things, that's what Ibiza was about years and years ago. I mean, people had these kind of endless deals until the people started ripping each other off. And then they have to have a lot of paperwork. Mm. But, you know, paperwork is only as good as, you know, if it, if it actually, if, if it's useful. It's not really useful in this case because I've gone way outside the, 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 the contract. The contract says I can't do anything here. I can't even put a hole in the wall. You know, and, I mean, imagine. This is more than the hole in the wall. <laughs> I've built the kind of Echo Village here, which is um, quite famous. We've done 42 documentary films in here. But I, I like people to come and, and film what we've got here, because it, it, it's inspiring. It inspires others. I was inspired. I w you'll see when you walk around, that one of the first things we built here was like the bottle house and, the, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an echo toilet made out of tin cans. And um, I, w I, I saw these ideas in America. I went to America in 1995 to see Michael Reynolds, the, the architect who built the Earthships. And some friends of mine and myself, an architect from here and two German friends we went there for three weeks filming and photographing earthships all over arizona and new mexico and when we came back we were so inspired what we saw we all wanted to build something so i built a, a toilet out of 3500 aluminium beer tins and that was my first uh, like like echo building if you like so i mean i never built anything before really i knew how to make cement and stuff but i mean i never actually built a building and and now i've learned quite a lot since then what what's left to achieve here? Do you think um, some more maintenance this this year? Um, I want to open again in February. I've got a, a deal coming up with a, a responsible tourism company called um, Life Experiences. The same ones that do clean wave, the, the, the water bottles, the refillable water bottles that can fill up in bars and restaurants, and um, they're going to send me groups of uh, Echo tourists if you like but they're going to be just be doing workshops here and they'll be donating making a donation into one of our probably into our uh, the bank account from the responsible tourism group because that's how we'll get funded but um well i don't i don't actually need any money personally i have three pensions i have a spanish pension and two english pensions so i don't need to earn any money and, and the rent here is so cheap 
you don't believe what I pay now. And I only pay 425 euros a month for the house. And I had to insist a few years ago that they double the rent <laughs> because I was only paying 150. <laughs> and I insisted that they, they double it. Yeah. Because I said, it's just not fair. I mean, we're, 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 we're using your property. We're, we're making, actually, not that we're carrying the money off to Switzerland. We're just reinvesting it. But on the other hand, I don't think 150 euros is the correct value. Everybody's happy. And I go every week and I buy vegetables from the owners. So they, I wanted themselves some more benefit. And of course, it's their house. In the end, you know, when I'm gone, um, if I don't leave somebody else here to look after it, we, we, we will work it out because the, 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 the owner of the house, or the, the next owner of the house is the son of the, the owner. Um, he's, a, he's very friendly with the guy who's running the Casita Verde in, in, in Granada. And the, and the running, that guy is on the board of directors of this, the, the, the group that runs this. So I've done it all very kind of legally so that I will hand over the reins of the, of the donkey to somebody who, who's, who's a good friend of the owner of the house. So it'll probably just stay as an echo centre. Um, so that's your... That's the legacy. That's the legacy. That's the legacy. Yeah. So, um, so my idea now is to keep it in very good condition. I've already spoke to the government about um, Ecolandia. They say it's the right timing. Find some, find, find some investors. So, so what, tell me more about that. You need you're going to, you plan to build not here, not here. Not this, here, this, right. uh, what I built here is uh, William. I built a model yes. of Ecolandia without any licenses, basically, uh, because it, well, you can't have licenses for building with bottles and pallets and stuff like that. It doesn't exist. I mean, you can't you can't just invent the thing completely. You have to go somewhere in the middle and make sure you don't get into trouble and make sure that you um, you're doing it for the benefit of the pueblo, like you know. So, so, and and keep. Keep on the good side of everybody. Don't upset the neighbours. Don't don't get denounced for anything. Don't do anything stupid. Don't make a noise. Don't set fire to the forest. You know, and um, and don't do any illegal operations because that would really guarantee that they had to do something. So what we've done here is we've, we've demonstrated that this alternative style of living is not only possible, but it's also very favourable. It's very pleasant. It's a, you, you live very comfortably. And you can imagine if you you can produce all the things you eat and all the drinking water that you want to drink and all the... I even have a jacuzzi here. Instead of going to the beach, you know, it's full of... Like, I don't know who's there. I don't, you know, all restrictions here, restrictions there. I have to go in a car anyway to get there. I even made a jacuzzi, put salt in it, and I just lay there on a, on, on a, on a, on a, a floating bed. Uh, and I can drink beer, listen to music, and, and I've put my hand in the water, it's salty. It's, I mean, if you shut your eyes, you don't, I've got a view of the sea, I can sit there and drink my gin and tonic at the sunset yeah. and watch the sunset. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to go down to Café del Martin, I can sit in the garden in a hot tub at 42 degrees, warmed up by the sun. That's luxury. <laughs> and that is, you know, that's being rich. I mean, I'll tell you what, just before we go outside, so look, I've been to see some various rich people. I have some like millionaire friends as well. And you go out to the house and they don't, they don't show you their new Ferrari anymore. They show you their vegetable garden because that is, is where it's, that's the new thing. That's, mm. the new, that's the new rich. Yeah. That's the new prosperous. Look at my tomatoes. Look at how, my, how peppers are growing. What did you have for lunch today? I, that came from my garden. That's what, that's nice. That's a nice thing to do instead of everybody, you know, spending money on stupid things like fast cars that get to 300 kilometers in an hour on an island 40 kilometers long. You, but you might as well have a, a beautiful vegetable garden where you can actually impress your friends by, by serving them food that you've grown in your garden.
And so Ecolandia, where, where do you propose to I propose, Actually, this? I would like to build it, to be honest with you, on that piece of wasteland next to Cafe Mambo. Because there, it's got the best sea view. There's nothing on it. It's a car park. It belongs to Mr Matutis and company, or most of it. Um, it would be an ideal place. I mean, if you built it in San Juan, for example, and it's the right size, that finca is the right size. That it's, it's about five hectares. And you could even have an underground discotheque if you wanted, like here. I mean, this could be an underground discotheque, and that's where a discotheque should be, where they're not disturbing anyone. Because, you know, if you put them upstairs, you get all, you get all complaints, you're disturbing all the people trying to sleep around. And, you know, young people like to stay up late and dance. I don't, I don't mind that, as long as you're not disturbing the neighbours. I mean, but if you, put, you, put, you can put car parks under the ground, so why not discotheques? They don't need to see anything. They're not looking at the lights are off. Or you've got some lead lights in there. You don't need to be above the ground making a noise. Soundproofing could be easily managed to make something underground. So that Ecolandia could even have, like, a, not a massive discotheque, but a small uh, nightclub thing under the ground just to, just to show how it worked. You could have even a golf course using wastewater from the restaurants and the, and the shower water. From and so the, what, do, you, imagine, you imagine... Um it's a sort of self-sustaining... Yes, it would be a commercial story where yeah. you had to either pay to go in, there'd be, be loads of things that on offer to buy, you know, services, you have a, you have a health centre, you can have a massage, you can have a, some therapy, you can buy solar panels, you can see things working, you can see how they're working, you can walk out the door with a basket full of locally grown organic vegetables, you can have that for lunch, the kids can play some ecological games, it's a day out. And you imagine if some people come to Ibiza just to see that, and, there's, and then that's the beginning of the holiday. And you imagine no one's going to change their, their conduct on the island when they've been to Ecolandia the first day. They're not going to be chucking the rubbish out the window because maybe they even go on a beach clean. <laughs> you know, maybe invite them to go and clean a beach as, as like, a, as like a, an introductory part of the package. So let's go and clean the shoreline of San Antonio. Are you right then? Let's go to Caladismoro Cala, Cala and, uh, or we go to, to Calagracio and, and clean the beach. As, as, a part, as part of the, the day out. Yeah. So they get the idea. I mean, I can invent you a tourist package, tourism package, that would, would actually change the whole style of tourism. For would you have a co accommodation there too? You would probably have enough accommodation around in San Antonio that mm. would like to join in. I don't think you need to build any accommodation. You could have some kind of examples of accommodation, like we have here, like an echo wagon. There's nobody living in it, but it's just to show you how it would look, like an ecological, sustainable house, tiny house. Because tiny houses are really trendy now. Everybody wants tiny houses. We've got one here. Yeah. Can look at it. But I mean, have you approached the Matutas? I mean, not yet. Not yet. I tell you why. I tell you why. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting until this place is completely the best I can make it, mm -hmm. with, every, with everything fixed, everything working like like it looks in here. It's looking like a photograph, so it can be filmed with a photograph. I'll get one shot, and I have to hit the target. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste the I'm not gonna start shooting before I've got to the got in range. You know what I mean? So that's stupid. Um, I need to get a really good team of uh, people together to to present. I've got a team of architects and things working on it. Obviously, I want to see whoever invests, whoever it is who invests, or a group of investors. They'll want to see something, not just a picture that I drew in to, in the year 1999, or have a look around the They want to see what you project as an idea of Ecolandia. So they can see what they're going to spend their money on. And they're going to see how it works. You need to make an economic kind of uh, business plan as well to say, how, how, who's going to pay for this? How are we going to get our money back? And, and who, you know, who's going to benefit? 
going to, okay, it's going to be a great benefit to the tourism of the island. It's going to be a great benefit to local populations, in, uh, creating employment and creating, because you have to build it out of hemp bricks or whatever you like. You have to grow the materials, maybe, if you're on the island. I can make you a list two miles long of how to do the story. I've been thinking about it a lot over the last 20 years since I designed it. So I, I'm just waiting. I mean, I'm not in a hurry. I mean, I am in a hurry, but I'm not that much in a hurry. I don't need to do it next week. And when the time comes, there will be the, that'll be the right moment. And then there'll be the opening. The door will be open and I'll just walk through. And I'll speak to the right person. And if the universe wants an Echolandia in Ibiza, there will be one. I'm still alive. I'm only 67. I'm not 97. Got a, got a few years. Well, there. you know, but maybe maybe the time is coming because the the environmental movement seems to be growing on the on the island. Oh, as, yes. as you say, the politicians are listening now. Oh, and everybody else is. Uh, I mean, imagine you imagine trying to sell a sell a, a membership for Friends of the Earth back in 1989. Everybody was talking. Oh, shut up! Watch football. You know. I mean, the first I actually managed to get 500 members in one year. I was amazed. I tell you why I used to go to the satellite TV people. Where they used to go. They, I wouldn't let them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't leave the house until I got another member, basically. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I managed to get so many members. Should we so, go and look round? Let's have a look. Yeah, yeah great. Thanks. Let me show you in the wagon. Yeah, one, great. One particular, like, this, the tour of this place lasts about three and a half hours, which we haven't got. But no. um, uh, we can see some of the main things. I think what we're going to do first. We're going to go on the roof of the house. Okay. okay. This, I'm going to show you something first. Let me just have a look at this. I'm going to show you what it looked like Please when I it. came here. Okay. Okay. Can you see that? Yes. That's the house I rent. That's the first day, right? Ah, that's yeah. what it looked like. That is what I found. And that's my girlfriend. And there's my car with a picnic table. That I've, I used to make picnic tables. Still make picnic tables. There's we painted the house. And then that's, I think that's during the summer that year. Is the is my um, birthday party. We, we we moved in on the first of March. It's on the twenty third of March. Okay. And um, you'll see some of these places. This is like the corral outside. Is now the Gaia Center. That was the kitchen block over there. We're sitting in the garden. It's a friend who came came to America with me um, to see the Earth ships. Here's me building the kitchen. Wow. Putting putting the columns up uh, yeah. made of stones out of the garden. Here's some aloe vera plants going in from the owner's house. You see, imagine, I just, I, I, I leave this here in the entry just so people yeah. get the idea. Oh, this is the original building. This is, is the original, this has got, yeah. this is the only one that's got a, this, got a number. Yeah. Okay, this the is tax, the house. The tax number. I don't know if you've ever, can, you come in here, I'll show you. This is, the registration, the building registration. So, this is, it's a very small house. I haven't actually changed too much the house. I've put some tiles on the floor. I've, um. I made myself comfortable here, but I haven't actually kind of not replaced it. Yes, this really just looks like a, it's like a little house. traditional Ibithenko Yeah, but it's, quite, it's kind of, it's cosy. It's a cosy little cottage, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And this was our reception. That's why I've got this big thing here. You, you came in probably for lunch. You'd be signed in here. That's There'd be right. the person sitting out there. The doors would be open. This would be full of information. And, um, and there's a bit of our history on the wall there. Here's my little office where, where I normally work. Um, it's throughout the control centre more or less mm. we have a few of these things around we've got four, four of these systems so this is just one this is the first one we've what's that this is uh, this is solar energy oh okay it's a battery this is, this is the well the batteries are over there this is yeah. the 
this is the the charge controller this is the this is a, 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 a 220 uh, generator that makes dc into ac okay actually switched off at the moment because this this system I, is, a, is an emergency system that i don't even use until i'm working on one of the others because we we've got now three and a half kilowatts on top of the kitchen that's just for the kitchen block we've got four kilowatts down in the field over there that runs the whole this whole level mm. and i can switch between one and the other here you've got plenty of got power switch. i've got plenty of power i've got yeah. we've i've changed over to oh, like electric cookers and stuff like that yeah. so we're not burning gas my idea of you know is to have gas fridges and all that kind of stuff that's all gone now we don't want to burn anything we've got some mm. and uh, i've i've invested a lot of money in solar panels not as much as other people have because my brother actually has a solar energy company on the island so i get like very special prices and very good offers um from my brother when somebody throw, throws out a bunch of batteries for uh, they're in perfect condition i can buy them for next to nothing and that saves me thousands and thousands of euros we're going to go on the roof that's right. okay here. so this is the original house it's a it's just a small 40 square meter house so do you, do you think overall that solar power is the way to go for people? Well, it is. Ether? It is at the moment. Obviously, you know, unless until we're allowed to use free energy machines without getting killed, um, it's it's a thing that works here better than wind. Um, I have a wind generator, but it's more of an ornament than a than mm. a, than, than a kind of uh, charging system. Okay. If, if I had a big wind generator, um, I would actually need a license for it. <laughs> so I, I would need. I would need. A, thank you. Oh, we need a permission, sorry. But, but not for solar panels? No, no, no. You can have up to 10 kilowatts. But if you want to put a really big, if you want to put a three kilowatt um, thing up and it's on a tower, it needs a, a ton of concrete underneath it, you know, just to hold it up there. I'd rather have solar panels. I mean, solar panels, they're so cheap now. They don't make a noise. They're not going to get blown over. And, you know, something like that. Over there, you can see we've got... I just leave this one panel here. This is connected to these batteries underneath my house at the back of the house here but this was full of solar panels before but i've left the, one of the nicest looking ones here just as kind of just to keep those batteries charged so they stay on full charge that's why i normally do interviews huh. i sit that's what i can see the sea over there and watch the sunset i can sit there having a gin and tonic and i've just cut this this uh, this this is ivy from england actually from yorkshire um that's, that's a water tank behind there. Yeah. And I've covered it. I don't like to see water tanks on roofs of houses. Look ugly. So I covered, I, I grew a plant up mine. And then I cut a piece out last year so I could sit underneath it and uh, watch the sunset. We You've got, got a this, bar. This is we fantastic. We've just got this bar on the, on the roof. It's got hot water. It's got, it's got, um, it's got electric lights. It's lights all around the outside. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and here, of course, you can have some really nice... Uh, dinner parties and things and yeah. watch the sunset and then when we, we have there's even a DJ table there and these are these these things are made out of um, Alhambra beer bottles right and then it's all stuck together with uh, cal and sand so it's natural stuff and, and these these would be thrown would be thrown in the recycling uh, I don't know why Alhambra doesn't actually do returnable bottles because they don't even stick labels on the bottles. They only have to wash them out with hot water and put some more beer in it. So it'd be the easiest bottle to, re to return and fill. I've got to speak to them about that. I mean, it's my favourite beer, actually. Yes. Um, it's very nice beer. So here's the DJ table. Fantastic. Okay. Have you had some good parties out? up here? We, we, yeah, we only finished it in the early summer. And so, yes, we did have some 
uh, in July and August uh, and September. It's a bit cold now <laughs> in the evening, but I've got lights all the way around the outside. Brilliant. These these lights here are made from, you can see they're made from water bottles. They're like um, eight litre water bottles upside down. So you've really got all the all the gear. And yeah. when we go past 12 o'clock, because mm. we don't want to disturb the neighbours, so then we go underground. Brilliant. So you can just walk down up. the stairs. Yeah, but you have your dinner up here, you have your drink, you have a brief meeting, you have yeah. watch the sunset, have a dip bit dance around up here. <laughs> and then when, when you say, okay, we'll... Uh, so we, we, we start, we, we get the music going down there because we've got a few systems. And so we're just like, okay, guys, downstairs we go. Also, it's another example of how I would like to, to see, even in the Equilandia thing, I want to see some things not made out of new materials. I want to see some recycling in there, some upcycling. Well, you know the difference between recycling and upcycling? Recycling is when you... Uh, uh, melt it down or smash it and make another one the same yeah and upcycling is when you make something better with the material so if i build a house with pallets um that's upcycling i'm not making another pallet you know and if i build a bar out of bottles that's upcycling so you prefer upcycling well to recycling. i think um i think we should we should consider more upcycling um as as a as a as a parallel it uses recycling. less uh, energy, doesn't but it? Of course it does. It, and you're making something, and it, it's really fun to see. Uh, it's, it's fun to use. I mean, it's, we have um, an enormous amount of pallets coming to the island every year because we buy food and everything comes on pallets. Yeah. Those pallets very rarely go back to the peninsula. They stay on the island. So it's a, it's a renewable resource. If people give you things, they like to see what you've done with them. <laughs> And if you if, I, if you give me a whole bunch of uh, beautiful windows and things, and I invite you around to see, well, you've this, this fantastic shower I've just made out of it, mm. I mean, you're going to say, wow, I give them to the right guy. Mm. Somebody gives you something and they, they look after it. Uh, they, use, they, they use it for something really special. And you're, wow, that, like, that, I, look, I gave them that and I gave them that. It's like, this is a nice feeling and, it, and this is what we want to generate. So you, you, you take a piece that would be thrown away and you say, well, what, can I, what do I need to do to it to make it into a useful object yes and and that's that's something i like to teach people that's why i like I like people to learn when they come here it's a good you need you need certain skills to do that well you can learn first, them. yeah but the first skill is imagination and because mm. and, and there's no limit you're the one who puts the limit to your imagination mm. and you need, they need to learn to to change your imagination into the thing so that's you need to learn some carpentry skills some some metal working skills some i mean but these are things we should know anyway I mean, if you want yeah. to make a nice meal, you need to learn how to cook. Yes. Woodworking, not so good. Okay, well... For me. Um, okay, well, this is why we do, uh, like, workshops and things. People come here to learn. We've had, we, we had 1,300 students here over the years. And that's quite a lot. The, the, the American friends of mine, they used to have a company called Greenheart Travel, and they used, to, they used to charge them $650 a week to come here and work. Wow. We didn't get all that, of course, but, I mean... But that, I mean, I, the, many of the, the, the local council, they know me and they say, you know, you're the only person we know that actually charges people to work. <laughs> I said, well, you should think about it one day because that's, what, that's, a, that's a future for Ibiza. Mm. If, they, if people come here, and as well, if they, pay to work, if they pay to do something, it has a value. And when it has a value, they're going to do it better, obviously. Yes. If I give you something, you may not consider it to be value. If you have to pay for it, then it has a value. And you want your money's worth. So you're going to work, you're going to learn. You're going to come here and learn because you paid to learn. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good point. Um, well, I've just, I've just stopped for, I've taken a year out and it was great that the COVID thing came in at the right time because and then people really got the idea, 
don't go to Casita where it's closed, yeah. right? Yeah. Because otherwise you'd be standing at the door defending yourself. <laughs> and so we've had ta- we've had chance to actually finish lots of jobs off. You've, you've never seen this pond, for example. This was a four-year project uh, that we started in 2000. As we started yeah, in 2016. Is that the original? Um, That's the, the original corn uh, threshing, threshing, threshing area. area. Threshing yeah. area yeah. So basically, the idea of this thing, um, as you can see, there are two there are two ponds high up here, uh, with with fountains. Okay, and th- here's where the frogs and the fish and and all the wildlife kind of visits, if you like. Obviously, if something bigger comes along, like a water hen, or something, it'll land in the middle. <laughs> Okay, you know, a duck or something like that, it would probably land in the middle. Where does this water come from? This water comes from the rain. Yeah. Um, see that channel coming down there? Yeah, yeah. That's from those roofs, the kitchen roof and, and the other, and the stable roofs. They all get channeled down, down a waterfall, actually, which only operates when it's raining. Comes running down there. That's, uh, that's about 60 square metres of, of water gathering area. And... From the top of the hill, there's, a, there's, a, there's like a track coming down the middle of where the buildings are, and the water comes down that like a stream, and it pours over the edge of the, of, of the platform where you normally have your lunch up there, and it fills up this circle mm. with water, and it pours over the edge into here. So all we, all we did was dig a hole here. This was like a slope down to there. We built with rocks from the, from the owner's land. We went down by our big van and got loads and loads of rocks. He gave us all the rocks. So what I bought really was just the calendar sand, which we we put down here, and with with the with the volunteers we built this whole system, this whole uh, natural. It looks very natural. It's it's, made, it's meant to look like it's been here forever. When the plants have finished growing down the sides of the, the pond, you won't even see this pond. It'll just look like an actual pond. It'll look like it's been here forever. The surface, which was the expensive piece, this is a special kind of um, uh, cement glue stuff from um, from Italy and it, it's like you paint it on uh, I wonder you what can, that's made of this is, it's, it's cal basically mm. with, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like tile cement in consistency so, so the idea is that the, the bottom bit will fill up yes the, the bottom bit fills up with water when it rains and yeah. then we pump the water yeah. up to the side tanks to keep them full Okay. And the water, if you, if, if you leave the pump and you forget about it, it just overflows, it goes back to the beginning. So, it, you know, th- this year is the first year we've had it running. And I have to say, it lasted without putting any water in it, without buying any water. I had these two side ponds full right from the beginning of the year, right till the end of the summer. Could we have a quick look at what you've got growing here? Yes. Okay. We're just planting some stuff actually right now. I've just been to buy some, um, some fertilizer actually this morning. These, are, these things here are composters, by the way. These two big holes in the ground. Yeah. These make five tonnes of um, very fertile soil in two years. You just get all the cuttings from the garden. You dig a big hole, about one and a half metres deep, five metres wide, and you fill it with all the, all the cuttings from the, 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 the bushes and stuff. The small stuff goes in the compost, the, uh, uh, but the bigger stuff, obviously really big stuff, you cut into firewood and burn in the winter on the fires. And then the, 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 the middle stuff, the stuff that's like just like bush stuff, bush size. Mm. This was not good for the compost uh, heap. This goes into this big deposit. And we pile it up to two metres high. Yeah. And then we just let it rot. 
and it rots right down, it goes right down. When it goes right down to the bottom, by then we've got two of these, like the, like the echo toilet, you know, you use one side while the other side is rotting away. The same thing happens, you build it up to two metres tall. And so, just about, so you filled that, that side. That's, that's nearly full now on that side. It's and this side is ready to use, is it? Right down, yeah. so we're going to take this out now and put it on the garden. Fantastic. So, so if you do these things right, imagine this was a deserted farm, it was mm. a desert. Mm. Why was it deserted? Because nothing grew, because the, the soil was so de depleted, you know, the people who lived here, they, just couldn't make a, they couldn't make a living, they couldn't live off it, So because it's just a sand hill. Okay, so these are our vegetable gardens, they're empty at the moment. We just, um, I just bought yesterday, I bought um, about 500 small plants. Right. Um, what we do is we have, because we have free and electricity uh, i've got four big freezers and what we tend to do is in the winter we grow things in the summer i buy i buy stuff from the market because it's cheaper than buying the water and you have to do anything because this is this i would never have enough water these were designed to use gray water these gardens but we, we without so many people living here we don't we don't use enough water to supply the gardens so it's very difficult to keep anything uh, really watered properly so better just go and buy some vegetables give somebody else a job and, and keep the money in the island. Go and buy some local products from the from the, the Pies market and eat that instead of trying to grow your own. In the winter, though, with natural rainfall falling on us, we can grow. I bought yesterday um, five or, or more than 500 small um, cauliflower and broccoli plants, different varieties, and we're just planting them. I've just I've just been I've just been to buy some more fertilizer today. We'll plant all these gardens with winter, mm. winter vegetables. All through the okay. winter we'll grow, we'll grow potatoes and things like that. What things will go in the winter? And what sort of fertiliser? This one here, organic. This is actually sheep shit. Okay. <laughs> uh, from, uh, who makes it? I haven't even looked at it yet. But um, it's about 12 and a half euros a bag or something like that. That's good stuff, is it? It's, yeah, you get 30 kilos. Have you back. considered having animals here? I've had animals in the past. I've had sheep and goats and chickens and stuff, but... You know, it's, um, you know, already I'm anchored here. Imagine you don't get a day off. No. You, can't, you can't just not go back and feed the chickens. You, just can't, you know, if you, if you want to stay out in the evening, somebody would have to put the sheep away. Mm. Somebody would have to go back. You, you, can't, you can't be a farmer mm. without somebody looking after the animals. I mean, Unless you tried to rewild it and just had you, them well, wandering yeah, but, around. Yeah, but then you'd have to have a fence around it because yeah, the would. dogs would come and eat them all. Yeah. And that, that fence, a... this is 55,000 square metres. Mm. I don't know how far it is around the outside, but I don't want to pay the bill. <laughs> what we do actually is we're, we're making a kind of fence around the outside, but a cactus fence. You would need a bulldozer to get through there. I've, I've, I've made some, some trials, you know, to keep the zombies out. I've invested about 4,000 euros this year in, in, in really top quality electric battery operated grass cutters and weed whackers and... Uh, and, and chainsaws and all the rest of it so I can do the whole job myself without wasting too much energy and of course or with big big rechargeable batteries so I'm pretty well set up for um, for if, if there's another lockdown I'm I don't even want to go out I wouldn't want to I would, I would just like to stay at home actually I was the first person to make a picnic table in the Beta. It's still there in the guy's house where I made it in 1985 <laughs> so I made it out of pallets <laughs> And what do you do to protect the wood? Um, I put linseed oil, but you can also just put... What we just developed now, actually, you know we invented this carob syrup that, that's made by Frutus Secus Ibiza. That was invented here right. by myself and a, a friend from the Basque country. And actually now they produce it in industrial quantities and they sell it to me quite cheap. So we, um, we actually 
we we use used cooking oil mixed with carob syrup, and, and it stains the wood like brown, and it and, and another day later it's kind of gone into it's, it's like it's, it's edible edible food edible wood 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 preservative. <laughs> like, you now we can eat it. I mean, you can eat, you can drink it. You know what I mean? You can kill yourself. So come. One of my problems, I like to do too many things. Yeah, so, not enough time in the day. Not enough time, no. You know, I've, I've actually got now, I've got as well, um, I think total, 13 or 14 different NGOs with bank account, with NIF number, digital signature. We obviously like doing paperwork as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's quite a lot of stuff to keep uh, keep you busy. Well, what do you think then, you know, if you look back through Ibethan history, the... The Paeses were more or less self-sufficient, weren't they? They were absolutely self-sufficient, and, and so you're not you're not exactly recreating that, but you're doing something. Well, when I like to, how I like to, and this is, I've even designed a whole um, ecotourism project around this story, where people would come on holiday, they may set off in Ecolandia, and then they, they would go walking, cycling, or or, uh, or or even riding a horse if it's possible around original tracks that were joining villages together and visiting places like Casita Verde or farms or individual farms where they can actually now stay up to six people in a farmhouse legally and do bed and breakfast there and they could learn from the farmer and some of them actually could exchange information so they would uh, they might even be invited to stay longer if they were kind of useful they might say well you know we get on quite well with you Jorge we don't stay a week you know and you don't have to pay anymore and and then the, you can have this kind of exchange of information because the farmers have got so much information, but with some new information that's just come from university students mixed with the traditional knowledge. And you've got like, a, you know, if, if two, two and two makes ten. Yeah. You know, you've, yeah. Got, you've got a synergy going a on. A lot there. of creativity in the melting exactly. pot. Exactly. So, so the thing is, um, I've even written that project down and given that to the government. I can't do all these things by myself. Mm. So I've made all these different organisations in a, in a group called the Beath of Phoenix. The Beath of Phoenix, it's called. Or Phoenix, Phoenix. I use mm. these words because, uh, like the greenhouse, it has to mean the same thing for everybody. Everybody knows what a phoenix is. It's this, it's this, this bird that rises yes. up from the ashes. Yes. But it's precisely what we need to do now. We're, we're just at the point of burning the chicken that's been laying the golden eggs for so long. So we've, stopped, we've got to now rise up from the ashes and make a completely new tourism offer that's going to restore the island to its original glory, not to, com- to, to completely destroy it. If we keep going in the same direction at the moment and building, 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 we're going to destroy, we're going to burn the chicken. And then you've got no eggs. So, I mean, um, I think we just stopped in time, actually. And, and with this, this, the COVID thing this year as well, uh, that has uh, it's put a lot of people out of business. And that's very sad and I'm very sorry for them. Um, it has actually stopped this train from going over the cliff. And so we now have to sit back and think, what are we going to do in the future then? What tourism offer are we going to do that's going to be restorative rather than destructive? And so we have to regenerate Ibiza now instead of destroying it. And, you know, I think everybody's got the same idea. We, you know, we want, we, we're just wondering how to do it. Mm. It's not that we don't know that's the, which direction to go in now. We've got the direction pretty clear. We just don't know how to arrive. Well, they, they, that's they, why they, I want to help. That's why I want to help. There's a lot of uh, people now saying that Ibiza is too crowded. There's too, they've put in too many, too much accommodation, and they've got targets for reducing the number of beds, haven't they? Well, yes, of course. But of course, they, they know they've gone over the limit. I mean, the person who did all, who designed our our, our statues, uh, the chief of tourism promotion, um, Ankelis Nogalis, sorry, 
they call her. She has a hotel in play in Bosser. And she uh, she actually told the, the council, I was sitting behind her at this, in, 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 in a big uh, presentation in, 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 in Santulali one day, and Ankelis was saying, she got the microphone just before I got hold of it, just near the end of the four-hour meeting about sustainable islands. She said, in my opinion, we went over the limit years ago. And she was the one who was actually doing it. She was in charge of tourism promotion. Imagine, <laughs> she's the one who's supposed to be selling the island. She said, We've, you know, we should have stopped selling more beds years ago. I've told you. You're gonna, you've, gone, you've gone too far. And you think you can't, you can't just keep inflating the balloon. But they're still building more hotels. Yes, exactly. So we've got to, I just signed something yesterday to, to stop that. As, as the chief of environment from the, from the council told me in our last interview, he said, you know, but don't forget, Chris, you know, the council, we've got to find, we've got to feed 170,000 people on this island with something. Now, um, it's all right, you know, we can have an Echolandia, we can have this, that, but, you know, if we, we don't have tourism... What are we going to do? And I, I said, well, man, you know, I've been saying for years we need to start making some products. We need to turn this land into something produced. We need to produce something from Ibiza from, from and export it. We've got beautiful land here. We can, we can grow things. We can, we can, we can grow hemp and, and, and re, 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 resurrect the cow business or something like that and, and, and sell hemp bricks, for example. We can build with them. We can, do, we can invite people to come here and get them to pay like, like, like uh, Michael Reynolds does. £2,000 for 10 days building. You building and you pay. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're filling the tyres with, with, with earth and you're paying to do that. So, you know, that's the tourism yes. that we need. A, a regenerative tourism. The only one, not the, the one that comes to trash the place. We want, we want tourists here to actually enjoy themselves, of course, yeah. We, I mean, we have celebrations all the time. I've just shown you where we celebrate. Nothing, yes. nothing wrong with having a celebration, but first you have to earn it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not just like two weeks of... I'm gonna, you know, blow my head off. This is a, it's a yurt. Okay, that's good. Yes, this is beautiful. This and they're so they have such a nice feeling inside. They're, they're cozy. Yeah, it's really girls it's really love, warm in here. Girl, girls love living in these. I've got two of these. This is the biggest one. Another one next door. But these ones, uh, they stay warm in the winter. They stay cool in the summer. You put a fire on there in the winter, and in ten minutes you're taking your clothes off mm. because it's hot. This is this is for the Mo- the Mongolian uh, Gobi Desert. This is the kind of this is the kind of accommodation you can take. This is this is um, you can move this stuff. I'll show you what we just did a pin. You haven't seen. This. So over the years, yeah. have you planted a lot of trees? Almond trees actually uh, don't last very long. All right. Almond trees almond trees have a lifespan of something like sixty years, whereas carob trees yeah um, would live four hundred years. Yeah. And so, obviously, and, the, and now the price of carob, you imagine, when I started the carob project back in 2006, one of the main reasons to start that, apart from the fact I wanted to make something to drink, and I became kind of allergic to coffee, um, the price of carob for the, for the producer was 17 cents a kilo if you sold it to the cooperative. I've just seen in the newspaper last week uh, that it's gone up to, in, in, in Mallorca, it's 80 and 90 cents a kilo. And here it's, it's gone past 60. Yeah. So we've really reached our target. I, I had a target of 50 cents a kilo with the project, the carob project, making the syrup. 
and and it's gone right past that. But now all the farmers are harvesting. Oh, yeah, people this are even stealing yeah. carobs from I, fields. This year you've seen everyone in the fields. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's what, yeah. that's what I wanted to see. That's why yeah. I made the project. And that's just demand for carobs has just, that's right. it's gone, just up. gone gone way way up there. And yeah. I'm so happy. And carob is not as well. The the the, the main thing the the, the 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 price of the, the seeds has gone up. That's the thing that's so, most so valuable. What's, what's driven that then? Well, um, market price. Market and what, price. So what are they using the well, carob well, the, for? The, 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 the carob seeds, they, 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 send, they all get sent to Mallorca, to a company called Carob SA. They, uh, they process the seeds and make a powder, a white powder, which is a natural thickener for things like soups and sauces. Um, but the, the price of that, apparently, the value of it, has gone right up. So they were, they were producing 1,000 tonnes of, of locust bean gum, or like the powder, a year and sending it all to New York to, to, for world distribution, so that must have doubled mm. because because the, the, the because the demand has got so high. And so it, it's not it's, being used in Ibiza particularly. You can't even buy it here. You no. can't buy the powder. I, I just I, I can't believe you. You know, it's produced. We, we grow it here, but you can't buy it. Can you what? Can you buy carob flour? Yes, you can. Right. Yes, so, yes, so, so some of it's kept you, on no, the yes, islands. we buy it yeah. in massive, massive uh, the carob flour and the yeah. and the carob syrup we buy in. Like the, the flour I buy in five five kilo bags from the co-ops. No, from no, from uh, from uh, Frutos Secos Ibiza. Right, and Frutos yeah. Secos Ibiza, I made a deal with them. I gave them the recipe, showed them how to do it. I said, okay, I'll give you this recipe. I don't want any any rights on it, even though it's patented. I said, you can have it, you can use it, but just do it. And so, what do you get then? I said, I get to see people picking carbs. That'll do. Okay, and as well, you can sell them it. You can sell me it at cost price. And has it got a kind of chocolatey taste? It tastes like it just tastes like chocolate. So you're uh, kind of partly responsible for this. Yes, I've done my piece. resurgence exactly. in carobs. Yep, exactly. Carob. Is it a tree? This is a house in a tree or a tree in a house? Oh, lovely. Yes. So up here you can you can see the sea out the window. I mean, this is the kind of accommodation people want to stay in, not in a concrete box. You're right. You know, and then, you know, and this what did it cost to build here? I said this 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 building didn't cost two hundred and fifty euros to build, and I can take it away in. In half a day, it's not here. There's no trace of it. It wasn't here. And the tree, the tree comes through. As you can see, the tree comes through yes. from the top to the bottom. Yeah, it goes down and out there. So um, there's a little bit of water comes in here when it's really heavy rain. So I just put a, I just put a kind of plastic tray underneath it. But this is a it's a tree house, like uh, but it's on the ground, of course. And but if you put a, one of these under any every carob tree on on the on, on the island, which you could, you wouldn't even see them. I think the big problem in Ibiza, though, is the permissions, isn't it? Well, you would never get permission. You to, would never to get permission because, in. because you know, Joe Bloggs wants to make some money out of the story, and you know, and you know, it works anyway. So, and then they don't like people really to be living. Uh, they don't really want people living in places that you can build by yourself. No, because what they want is rich people here. But this has got to change. This is what we want people here who are not just got money in the bank. They've got, we want some rich ideas. We want some people who are intelligent. Not just people who are rich, like uh, uh, like economically well off. We want people who are well behaved, and and are useful to the community. That would be rich. That's that's what I'm looking. That's a quality person to invite. And the rest of them, I'll make them. I'll make them pass a test. What are you going to do when you get to Ibiza? Drive around in your Lamborghini? No, you're not coming. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to open a I'm going to open an organic farm. Okay, this way. Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean. So so let's let's have a, a questionnaire like that. We don't need any more casinos and, and bars and discotheques and like that. We don't, we've got enough. 
So if, if you're coming over here to develop property and stuff, you you know, stay in stay in Brussels, <laughs> wherever you come from. But I mean, we need people here with some some um, regenerative ideas. And are you optimistic? Do you, are you, you seem like an optimistic kind of person. Well, I, I, yeah, I get out of bed with with an optimistic frame of mind because otherwise I wouldn't. I would just stay in bed. I mean, I don't need to get out of bed. I'm retired. You know, <laughs> I wish I was a pensioner. Um, uh, optimistic. My only, my only, shall we say, concern. I would say fear because it's not fear. It's just a concern I have. Is that we arrive too late uh, at the goal to be uh, really useful to the next generations. And I think, you know, that's why Greta Thunberg and people like that get really upset with adults. If they say, you know, aren't you watching? Can't you see we're burning our future? Can't you see what's going on? We're, we're, we're destroying the planet that we have to live on. You old people, why do they, why do they put the same mistake every time? They get a lot of old guys that have got about two minutes left to live. The only thing they're interested in is what's for lunch. Put them in a room and ask them, about the future. What do they know about the future? What do they even care about the future? They haven't got a future. They're nearly dead. So that's basically um, my idea is, is uh, keep, keep inspiring people. Um, try to figure out a way that I can continue as long as possible with the cathedral without trading on anybody's feet as well. Who's, you know, I don't want to make any competition with anybody. I'm not here to make competition. I'm here to make collaboration. And I've set up uh, all these different groups and I've paid for that. And, and it's a bit like I built an office building and, and, um, and I put in every room, uh, I put a desk and a telephone and a light. And I've said, here's the keys to the door, go in there. You've got a bank account, you've got a diff number and you've got a right to look for money and you've got a right to develop your project in that building. I'm the president of all the groups. But most of the other ones are just secretaries. Now they're normally experts in their field of study. So I've, you know, we've got we've got things like you know echo building. So you put an architect there. You you have somebody who's uh, looking after natural health. So somebody who runs a spa is the secretary there. You have somebody who's doing art and culture. So you have an artist. So you, so you've created this this uh, setup, and do you, do you feel like you've still got quite a few years left of your own energy to keep going? Or yes, I think I'm, I, I'm. No, I'm not sitting. Back, no, I don't sit back. I'm. I'm. I'm always. I'm always leaning forwards. Actually, that's you know. I have to, I have to keep running just so I don't fall over forwards. We've got to get all the best technology in the world, and we've got to save ourselves. We've got ten years left, and it's over. If we don't get there in ten years, I don't know what's going to happen. Who, who knows? But you know, I think I think uh, really there's a massive danger that we're going to lose the plot altogether. And if we and if we just keep going, me first, me first, grab, 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 money, money, money. But sometimes it's you see some bad things, you see some good things. I read yesterday, for example, that BP have, have scrapped half, forty uh, percent of their oil production, and so as um, so as Shell, because basically they've nowhere to put it. Nobody's buying it. Especially for the COVID thing, nobody's flying around, hardly anybody's driving around, industries come to a grinding halt. So they've stuffed all the oil tankers full of oil, they're all parked up somewhere, they're still coming out the ground, they've got nowhere to do, they've got nowhere to put it. Yeah, they're doing a big push on solar. solar so of course, of course they are, because mm. you know, we can see this, these, these, these people like, like myself and Leonardo da Vinci and all these other, shall we say, um, people who can see over the other side of the mountain a little bit. You know these uh, um, not 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 dreamers, more uh, visionaries. Um, we could see what was the solution, but it was a matter of convincing the big boys that they need to get into it. 
there's loads of movement. If I drew you a picture, here's an eye, for example, and if it, and here's is is an objective, money. Okay, I want money. Okay, there's two ways of getting money, at least. There's in a business that's uh, a green business that's giving life to the planet, or there's a dirty business that's taking life out of the planet. Now then, if you want your business to go on and hand, hand it on to your future generations, which one do you want to choose, Mister? Obviously, the and are you the first one? And, and do you do you feel confident that these oil companies, BP and Shell and so on, can 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 drive this? Well, um, I'd like to think that they've finally got the idea that they can't just bullshit all the time. They've got to actually have some actions going on because they're going to get pulled up if they if they make a promise and it's not met. Then people are going to have a go at them. They're going to pull the shares out. They're de-investing. Look, all the people, you know why they've done it? Because it's become very unpopular. Even BlackRock and people like that, they're saying, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're going the wrong way here, boys. All the religious groups have de-invested. Everybody's de-investing in oil. And, and the regulators are pushing it too. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but you know, but while, while we're still giving them billions of dollars a year to, to continue, we're going back, we're driving the train backwards. You know what I mean? So we've got to, We've got to work with the government. There's no point. That's why how I sold this whole Phoenix idea to the Balearic government, why they why they allowed me to do it. Because imagine, from their point of view, they see this English guy is making all these associations. What is the plan? What's the plot? Quite dangerous, really, when you think about it. He's got all these bank accounts. He's got all these NIF numbers. He's got all these he's got all these projects to do. And what, what is he planning to do? So I wrote them a letter. I sent them a plan. I sent them a picture. It's a carob tree. Actually, we use the carob tree as the symbol of the phoenix because the carob tree, it's a tree that grows all over the Balearic Islands and all over Spain, for start, all over the Mediterranean. It's a very strong tree. It doesn't. It, it's drought resistant. It's always green. It's always working. It's in fruit or it's in flower all its life. If you look out the window, you see the flowers on the tree there and you see the carobs next to it. And that's how it works. It's never having a day off. And the fruit that it produced can sustain life. Like the like the Ibisinkos themselves proved in their in the in their in their in the Civil War. They had to eat carbs to stay alive. But guess what, William? They stayed alive because they ate carbs. Okay, so you know, if you use that tree as a symbol, and even when the branches fall down, they usually hit the ground and they grow up again. And even the wood, when they're at the way it's completely dead the tree. The wood's great for burning in the chimney. So I mean, there's nothing about that tree that's bad news. Nothing. It's got no, it's got no, uh, you know, bad effects on anything. It's all good. The cow tree is a winner, and you can see what's happening now. It's a winner. People are going back to the land. Finally, we found something to do with the carobs. Okay, so let's hope it goes like that for the rest of the agriculture. Because well, you've got people back on the land. They might say, well, I might as well plant some other stuff here while I'm making some money from the carobs. And what else are we can do with the field? So put some sheep in there. Let's put some cows in there. Put some other things in there. Put some other put some of the crops that are actually going to make the ground richer, so I get more carbs. Because you can put some more crops in there. You can actually sell the crop, and you can restore the land. And don't forget that the the soil is the biggest carbon sink on the planet, bigger than the oceans even. So you've got the ocean for one side, which got if we kill the oceans, we're completely dead. You kill the soil; those two together. If you kill the soil and the ocean, there's no possibility of living on this planet any longer. So we've got to go for both of those things. Keep the sea alive and keep the land, keep the land covered. Keep it covered. Do not, I mean, in, in permaculture terms, you never see bare land. 
like they have in Ibiza. That is that's just nothing to do with permaculture. You would ne- you would just cut you would cut the thing down and leave it on the on the top. When the, when they turn when they smash smash the the land to pieces with a motor cultivator, they're killing all the rhizomes. They're killing all the things in the soil. All the bacteria is all getting mashed up. All the life in there is getting mashed up. It's getting exposed to ultraviolet light, which murders it. The birds are coming and eating all the insects. What have we got left? Dust. The disaster. No, dirt, basically. <laughs> dirt. You know what I mean? It's a, then you've got to put loads of chemicals in it, but that's the idea, of course. You, 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 you're being sold a complete bullshit story. You, you undo that to your land, then you've got to throw a load of chemical fertilisers with nitrogen in it to replace what you've just smashed. That was doing it for nothing. That The, 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 the plants were doing it for free, and now you've got to pay. What does that make you? And uh, that's the end of our land there. Goes down that. We've got... We've got to, that over there. That's San Antonio. That house in San Antonio. Oh, okay. You pull our shower wall. You're in San Antonio. We're just uh, in San Jose on the edge of San Jose. Here. So your um, land, yeah. the wigwams. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. That's the wigwams on ours. Then if you, where, where, where we jumped over the wall next to the shower. Yes. If you jumped over the shower wall, you'd be in San Antonio. Okay. <laughs> so that's San Antonio at that side. And we've got this big wedge here, right down to the bottom of the valley. We've got a hectare of forest up here. All right. So you... 22, 22 fields. Down to the bottom of the valley. So your your land carries on down. Oh, right down to the bottom, yeah. Wow. Right, right down to it? where it's ploughed. It's, it's down to where it's ploughed. Yes. That's that's that, that where it's ploughed actually. Oh no 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 further on. Sorry. I know we're very lucky here. Now. This is this is people coming in right here. Like, oh my God, it's that. Yeah. But but they need to be inspired. I mean. Yes. And then the first you need to be inspired. You can't you can't inspire other people if you're not inspired. Well, also. I suppose most <laughs> you need to be a landowner or have a a long term lease to 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 take to to invest in something. Some yeah, of these I mean, things. I've, I've, obviously, I took a, I took a massive risk way back. Actually, I started building here in 1996. Uh, uh, yeah. I asked the the owner's son. Um, I just come back from America. I wanted to build me out of bottles or cans. So I said. Hey, uh, Pepe, can I build um, can I build a toilet in the garden? He said, Yeah, yeah, why not? I said, Yeah, cans. He said, Yeah, wh- 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 whatever you like. So, um, I said, do I, do I need to go to the town hall and, and, uh, and get a license? He said, Only if you don't want to build anything. <laughs> he said, <laughs> I said, Oh, I get the idea. He mm. said, He said, What happens is you'll go down there. They'll say no, then you can't build anything. If you don't say anything and just build it, if they don't like it, they'll tell you about it. So just take a risk. And then, you know, you'll have to go like that. You just have to go step by step because otherwise, if you go and ask them, they'll say no. They'll say no because they have to say no. How can they say yes? They can't tell you to do anything. They can't give you permission to do something illegal. You can't build with cans because cans are not on the list of building materials. And anyway, you can't build anything here because this is protected This is protected mm. land. Yeah. So you're in a corner. You're not going to get anywhere, you know. So... By the time 1999 came around, I'd built the bottle house, I'd built the kitchen, I'd built lots of things. I said, fucking hell, they're going to see this. They're just going to drive up in, they're going to say, what? What's this guy doing? Yeah. He's building all but, these things without any licenses. Had, but hasn't, hasn't all that tightened up a lot in the, yes, in the last few years? Yes, it has. Yes, it has but, but you're not fearful no, of... No, no, because, because, because they like me, you know, I'm, I'm not the enemy. I mean, you know, to, 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 come, to come here and start laying shit on my head, they're not going to win another election, are they? I've got 17,000 members in one group. I just write them all a letter. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, you know, and I've worked it out, man. It's like, it's a, it's a calculated risk. 
Yes. Okay, so 1999, I'm sitting there thinking, well, they're going to say something, now they're going to come around here and have a look. Yeah. So what did I do? I, I, um, I actually uh, invited the newspaper to come and do a report. Okay. And they did. Yeah. And, and, and what happened was that they did a double spread in the middle of the newspaper with colour photographs of all the buildings. It said Cassis Verdi, Model Ecology Centre, and it explained all about it. We went in the cave and said, what are you going to do here? I said, I'm going to make a nice room. <laughs> so I went in the newspaper and I was, I was waiting for the axe to fall on the head. Yeah. Anyway, no axe. Next thing, the TV comes. Can we film? Yeah, it's on, it's on my birthday party the next year, in the year 2000. They came with a camera and they filmed 40, they did a 40-minute movie about Cassita Verdi. And it went on the TV, local TV. I thought, bloody hell, if they haven't seen the newspaper, they haven't seen the film. No, I don't know what to say. They, you know, they, yeah. haven't, they haven't said anything. No. Strange. So I said, I must be, must be all right. So I just, I'll continue. Right. So I just continue. So I, I thought to myself, okay. And I got more confident. I, I've always had this kind of, until the guy actually told me that, um, you know, we're proud to have Cassidy Verdi in our municipality. I was... I, was, I had this kind of dark cloud that might just appear yeah. above my head. Yes. So, you know, am I really going to get stuck one day and I've got the Hacienda and I've got the rest of them coming up here and, and you know, get really getting on my case? So, but I thought, well, well, shit, I've got nothing to lose, really. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, they can come and tell me to take it down, but they can't, it's all they're going to tell me. They're not going to find me, for sure not. Because, you know, I mean, especially, especially when you consider that by then, We'd already had all the school kids up, paid, and, and, and their transport paid by the local government to come to a place that doesn't exist. I mean, they're already in trouble. <laughs> you know, where, where did the kids go to on that day, all those days, all those days that came here? I even had the cops asking me one day, the, 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 the guard used to be able to call you and they say, um, can we, um, can we, can we, uh, would, you, would you like to do a, an advert in our, in our, um, in our, uh, in our magazine, and you said, oh, no, not really, in the, the Guardian magazine, and I thought about it, and I said, how much is it? I said, it's 150 euros. I said, I'll just do one then, and I, I, I did an advert for Sundays at Gossita Verdi. I sent them a picture of an illegal house to put on the advert, <laughs> and they printed it, and I've got the magazine, so they can't say anything to me. <laughs> what are they doing, printing some stuff that doesn't exist? So may, maybe the, um, that was such a good move in, that, in those early days, was to get people really appreciating what, what you've created. That's, right, that's, right, that's the trick. The trick yeah. is to make... And before I even started anything here, I was already famous for cleaning beaches. I was in the newspaper when Friends of the Earth was running. I was in the newspaper every Monday, standing next to a big pile of garbage with a load of kids cleaning the beach. So I was already well known for being a good boy and doing the right stuff. So you've got to do that first. I've told the guy in Granada, I said, you've you, you got to talk to the forest police. You've got to know the mayor. You've got to know the local mafia. You've got to do all and be seen cleaning the road. Get out there with your green art T-shirt on and your mates and go clean the road when everybody's driving past and make sure that all the neighbours are seeing you doing some good stuff. Then nobody's going to denounce you because they will. They will, just mm. to be bad. You know what I mean? So, because otherwise, that's how it works. But if you've got a good reputation, you're the good guy in the neighbourhood... Who would want to actually stop you doing anything? Nobody. Mm. Nobody. So you've got, that's the, it's, a, it's, you know, it's not that much, it's a calculated risk. Yeah. It's not like jumping out of an aeroplane without a parachute or nothing yeah. like that. It's not even like jumping out of a plane with a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you. Uh, and I, I really wish you all the best for, your, for this venture and all of your ventures. And I hope that your optimism is well-founded and that, things do go well 
for Ibiza over the next few years and that the you do speak to the driver and change the direction of the train. Well, I hope so too, um, William. I'm hoping that a few more people will be talking the same language by the time we finish the conversation. And thanks very much for inviting me on your programme because that's precisely where we need to be because I can talk to myself all day here, but unless somebody else is listening, I'm really just... Um, just um, thinking about it. Well, I'll, do, I'll do, my bit, do my bit to help get your message out yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> This haunting song was recorded in San Jose in the 1950s in Ibiza. It's called Bon Amor Jo et Venk Aver, which roughly translates as Good Love, I'll Come See You. It's part of the Alan Lomax collection at the American Folklife Centre in the Library of Congress. It's used courtesy of the Association for Cultural Equity. Well, 